Why pray? So we're going to address that question today and probably the next two weeks on, on just really being honest with God, being honest with ourselves, and, and to really just ask ourselves, why, why pray? Why do I pray? And when I pray, do I really expect God to hear me? And do I really expect him not only to hear me, do I really expect him to answer me? Uh, do my prayers really make a difference? Uh, or have I done it as a religious exercise for many years? You know, there's plenty of scriptures in the Word of God. You're probably familiar with some of them, but, you know, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. It's a very good verse for you to start memorizing scripture. It says, pray without ceasing. You can remember that, right? Gonna remember, uh, uh, you're going to memorize a new verse this week. Pray without ceasing. And so, literally, it tells us to pray without ceasing. Then in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18, it says, Praying always, praying always with all manner of prayer. It means there's different types of prayer. And so we've talked about some of those in, in the past. I don't know if we'll get into that necessarily in this series. But there's another one of my favorites is Luke 18 verse 1. It says, Men always ought to pray and to not lose heart. Notice we always ought to be praying and never become discouraged. I'll just be honest with you. I've been discouraged almost as much as I've been encouraged, encouraged in prayer. Uh, you know, and say, well, how many of your prayers have been answered and how many does it appear like they've not, not been answered? So, you know, it's, it's uh, I wish the percentage of them would be much higher. But I think when we understand the necessity of prayer and why God has commissioned us to pray and commanded us to pray, we'll have much greater success in our prayers in Matthew 9 and verse 38, we are instructed by God to pray for labors of the harvest. Labors, pray for laborers in the harvest. Now, what's up with that particular verse? I thought God is love, and I thought it's God's will that none perish, but all come into eternal life. Isn't that what your word teaches you? Didn't God so love the whole world that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life? So if God so loved us and it's God's desire and it's God's will that none perish but that all come to eternal life, if that's his will and he's God and he's sovereign, then why is he asking us to pray? Is God sovereign? So then why does he need me to pray for the harvest? Why does he need you to pray for the harvest? Why does he tell us to pray always and, and to not become discouraged? Why does he tell us to pray? Why are we instructed in the word of God to pray without ceasing? Isn't God going to do what he wants to do? Isn't it all going to turn out the way God wants it to turn out? Well, a lot of people teach that, a lot of Christians and a lot of, a lot of teaching out there that God is, you know, you know he is sovereign. I, I do believe that God is sovereign, but in his sovereignty, he's, he's laid out a plan. All right? And so obviously, just the, the, in the reality that we are instructed to pray without ceasing, we're told to pray with all manner of prayer, we're instructed to pray without becoming discouraged, we're to pray for the labors of the harvest, you know, do I really need to do that? Some, did you ever feel like you're trying to talk God into something that he doesn't want to do? Does it ever feel like that? You know, I remember as a child, you know, trying to persuade my mom or my dad about something. I was a I was go-to-mom type person. She was easier for me to... 
But even then, I'd have to rehearse how I'm going to manipulate my questions. How am I going to, how am I going to, how am I going to manipulate her to get a yes out of, out of mom? Do you ever do that to your parents? Do you ever do that with God? You say, okay, how can I manipulate God? I'm not sure he wants to do this. I'm not sure, but boy, I really would like to do it. I would really like to have this. I'm not sure it's God's will for me to have it, but I'd really like to have it and really don't care if it's God's will for me to have it. I want it, and so I'm going to try and talk him into it. But, you know, we shouldn't be feeling like we need to talk God into bringing someone into the kingdom. We, we, don't, we don't ever need to feel like we are trying to talk God into doing something, manifesting something for us that he already has promised in his word. And then, you know, the question, why pray? Have you ever asked the question as a youngster of your parents, of a teacher, or of a supervisor? Have you ever asked the question when you were instructed to do something, they, you were given instructions, you were given a command, and did you ever ask Why? When you were told to do something, teacher tells you to do something. Why? Your parents tell you to do something. Why? Supervisor tells you to do something. Why? And then if you ever, get, if you ever did that, I'm sure most of you have. I know I have. I, I woke up three days later, but I was told that's what happened. <laughs> I was told that's what happened, but I asked why. But, you know, the asking why... And then the response is, because I said so. Because I said so. Parenting 101. Don't ever say that to your children when they ask the question, why? Take the time to give the why behind your command. And if you don't have a why behind your command, just admit, you know what? I really don't know why I said that. But be honest, but don't just, don't be commanding, you know, and, and giving instructions like just because I'm the parent and I said so, because I'm the supervisor, I said so. You know, it's a very low level of, of, uh, of, of supervising. It's a very low level of parenting. We don't want to be doing that. And neither does God give us all these instructions throughout the word of God to pray. And God's not given us these instructions through his word to pray for us to ask the question why and then for him to reply, because I'm God. And I said so. He's not, God is not intimidated by our questions. You don't ever have to be afraid to ask. An inquiring mind is never insulting to God. You're inquiring with, you know, you're sincere. You're asking, why do I need to be doing this? Why should I be doing this? You say to pray, uh, you know, he, the Bible, you know, some of the conflicting scriptures tells us he knows what we need before we pray, yet we're supposed to ask him, well, what's up with that? Is he playing games with us? You know, what, what's up with God knowing and God having provided and God loving, but yet we need to be asking? But we are instructed to pray. Is that enough motivation? You know, we know the scriptures to pray. We can quote a lot of them. You're familiar with them. And everything that we've been taught about prayer over the years, whatever your level, degree of uh, Insight is to, to, to prayer and to God, hearing your prayers and answering your prayers. You know, it's a, it still doesn't suffice and mobilize in the body of Christ and each one of us individually and collectively as the body to pray as we ought to be praying. And sometimes, you know, I, I really believe that in, on a positive note, you also pray many times you're praying when you may not even realize you're praying. 
For example, for the last 35 or 40 minutes in our worship service this morning, if you take, pay attention to the songs that were sung, the lyrics in those songs, you were singing prayers unto the Lord. That's what you were doing. You were praying. Every one of the songs, it's a, it's a declaration. It's a petition and declarations unto the Lord. We're making declarations. And it's, it's, it's a form of prayer. And when you, when you come into a worship service thinking of it such as, I'm going to worship the Lord today. I'm going to, I'm going to have a prayerful attitude unto the Lord. And uh, yeah, but Pastor Ray, this morning in particular, there was no one on this drum set. And I just really, you know, it just really didn't, it didn't, uh, it just didn't quite, you know, I, I really prefer a drum beat. Well, I like drum beats too. But also like prayer. I like to pray. Amen? Amen? And I thoroughly enjoyed reflecting on the lyrics as we were singing today, reflecting on the lyrics and, 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 and reflecting on the declarations that were coming out of my heart, out of out of my mouth, from my heart, and not only mine, but hearing you all sing. You say, wow, the church together is praying this morning. Declarations are being made. The atmosphere is changing here. The spirit of the Lord is all around. And he's here to minister to you. He's here to not only to sustain you, but to cause you to be an overcomer. To be an overcomer. So you've already prayed quite a bit this morning. So it's a great way to start your week. Amen? So just continue to reflect on everything that took place, all the declarations that you've been making, and, 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 and continue to enjoy it. So keep on praying. Keep on singing. And we'll, we'll continue to get more insight and instruction as to why God wants us to pray. Let's turn to the Gospel of John for a moment, for a few minutes. John chapter 14, verse 12 through 14. These are some of the instructions and declarations that are recorded in the gospel according to John concerning prayer and concerning praying in Jesus' name, in the name of our Father. In John 14, beginning at verse 12, it said, Most assuredly, these are quotes of Jesus, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Have you ever thought about prayer as being something that glorifies the Father in the Son? Have you ever thought about when you come in to worship today rather than say, well, it's not, it's not the set that I was hoping for. It's not the song I was hoping for. It's not this that I was hoping for. Or not, not just here, in, 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 I'm just using that as an illustration, but whatever the setting may be, but, but did you ever think of the fact that prayer is something that glorifies the Father? Worship glorifies the Father. We're probably more familiar with the idea of the mentality that worship glorifies the Father, but do you know that prayer glorifies the Father? You say, well, I don't pray all that well. Well, I don't sing all that well. But according to the Word, it glorifies the Father. A joyful noise. Amen? 
And so I, I love to sing, and I know that God enjoys hearing me sing, and, but I also enjoy praying, and I know that prayer brings glory to the Father. He said, well, Pastor Ray, how do you know that? Because Jesus said it. Jesus is telling us here that whatever you ask in my name, whatever you ask the Father, that's prayer, that's petitioning the Father, just whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. God is glorified in Jesus when we pray, when we, when we approach the throne of God in the name of Jesus, the name that's above all names. It brings glory to the Father. His children have come before him in the name of Jesus, and they're bringing their requests before him. It glorifies him as much when you bring your petitions before him as it does when you come and you worship him. When you're worshiping him, it glorifies him. You're magnifying him. You're exalting him. When you're magnifying, you're exalting, you're glorifying the Father. Great, gets great joy out of you petitioning him in the name of, the, of, of Jesus Christ. It brings glory to the Father. I love that. And whatever you ask in my name, verse 13, I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And to reinforce it, verse 14, if you ask anything in my name, Everyone say, ask anything. In the name of Jesus, what's he going to do? He'll do it. See, we have a, I don't know about you, but I'm reading this, and I'd love for you to believe that I believe that 100% without fail, it happens every time I pray. It's like, it's done. It's done. But that's what the scriptures are promising us. And I really think as we, continue, as we purpose to get back into the word of God and just reorient ourselves, reorient ourselves and just listen, okay, why am I praying? Is it just a selfish request? In the natural, it may appear like a selfish request, but according to the scripture, when I pray and ask anything in the name of the Father, it brings glory to God. And he said he's gonna do it. The next chapter, these are just some foundational verses for you to take home and meditate on, get them in your spirit, encourage you to pray. Uh, 15, John 15 and verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Now, the word abide there simply means this is where you hang out at. This is where you, you know, this, this is where you spend your time. This is your dwelling place. This is your, this is your address. This is where you spend quality time. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire. Now, notice that the desire is a result of abiding when you're spending time in the Word, spending time with the Father, spending time fellowshipping with Him and, and praying and meditating and worshiping and so forth. That, 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 that when you can, in, in that setting, you ask what you desire and it shall be, it shall be done for you. It shall be done for you. Chapter 16, verse 23 and 24. It says, and in that day you will ask me nothing. Jesus is talking about dispensationally here. You know, said, and in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Notice after Jesus was resurrected and ascended to be seated at the right hand of God the Father, he commissioned the church to go out and do kingdom work in his name. Notice, don't be asking me, you ask the Father. Don't ask me, ask the Father in my name. 
That's basically that's, that's what he's saying. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. So prayer, why are we praying? Does God need us to pray or does he just want us to pray? Is it simply a Christian discipline? If he needs me to pray, why does he need me to pray? Why does he need me to pray? I have two quotes that I want to read to you. One is from uh, Peter Wagner. It's from the Confronting Powers book uh, published in 1996. And another by Jack Hayford. Both these men were great uh, teachers of the word of God and have a lot of books out and so forth. But uh, the first one by Peter Wagner. Let me read this to you. He said, we must understand that our sovereign God has for his own reasons so designed this world that much of what is truly his will, he makes contingent on the attitudes and actions of human beings. He allows humans to make decisions that can influence history. Human inaction does not nullify atonement, but human inaction can make the atonement ineffective for people. I'm going to read it to you again. Why don't you just listen to it? We must understand that our sovereign God has for his own reasons so designed this world that much of what is truly his will, he makes contention on the attitudes and actions of human beings. He allows humans to make decisions that can influence history. Human inaction does not nullify the atonement, but human inaction can make the atonement ineffective for people. That's Peter Wagner in the book entitled Confronting the Powers. Jack Hayford's quote, prayer is essentially a partnership of the redeemed child of God working hand in hand with God towards the realization of his redemptive purposes on the earth. Prayer is essentially a partnership of the redeemed child of God working hand in hand with God toward the realization of its redemptive purposes on the earth. Why pray? Does he need me to pray or does he just want me to pray? And can my prayers really change things? What about praying for the lost? You know, I thought God wants them to be saved and you know, why do we feel like we're trying to talk God into it? You know, it's, if it's a... If uh, God's will for Christians, is it automatically guaranteed? Is God's will for you automatically guaranteed or is it linked to prayer among other factors in your life? Besides, when we do finally say, okay, I realize I need to pray, Jesus said, ask the Father in my name. Why does it take so long to receive the answers to my prayers? What's up with that? What is up with that? One of the things that used to frustrate me as, as, as a child would be when I would ask my father a question, many times that his response would be, let me sleep on it. <laughs> you know, when, when, when you're an adolescent and coming into your teens and, you know, time is of essence, you'd have time for your parents to sleep on it. You need an answer right then. I mean, <laughs> I've been sleeping on this for weeks before I had the courage to ask. Now I finally ask and I get this lame response, well, let me sleep on it. And I thought, you know how, you, did you ever make a swear to yourself that you'll never do to your children what your parents did to you? Sure enough, oldest daughter, Holly, one day asked me a question and I said, let me sleep on it. 
And when she said that, I mean, the, the, the movie just ran, just a, re, a rerun. And I thought, oh my gosh, I have become my dad. <laughs> and, but uh, I went to Holly and I said, Holly, I apologize for saying that. I said, I'll never say that again. <laughs> Let me sleep on it. You know, it doesn't make it any easier. So anyway, I don't know how that fits in the sermon, but someone may have needed to hear that. <laughs> So does he need me to pray? Why does it take so long? And why are faith and patience required? What's up with that? I thought Jesus just said, you know, if you ask the Father, ask him anything in my name, I'll do it for you. Isn't that just a bam, it's done. I got it. I have it. It's here and it's here now. So keep on praying. Knowing the scriptures concerning prayer still do not suffice in mobilizing prayer until we really have a, 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 a grace awakening, have an eye-opening experience, encounter with God, recognizing, realizing that he really desires to hear from you. He desires to hear from us. He wants us to be articulating his word back to him. He wants, he, God so designed the system that he's always interested in interacting with him. So, uh, and, and we will never develop the consistent, scripturally accurate prayer in our lives until we are totally convinced of the necessity of it and of the success in it. Convinced of the necessity of it and the success of it. Prayer really does change things. I believe the prayers, the answer to the why prayer lies in the question, uh, lies in God's original plan when he created heaven and earth and when he created Adam, the very first man. The why pray, the answer to that lies from the very beginning of the book of Genesis. God created Adam and then he, uh, he uh, provided Eve for Adam and he told the two of them that to be fruitful and to multiply and to rule and to reign and to have dominion on the earth, to guard the earth and to keep the earth. And so basically, this is just quick broad strokes here, but that's what God told Adam and Eve, you know, to in the garden, take care of the garden, tend it, nourish it, guard it, to keep it. It was Adam's responsibility. It was Adam's responsibility. Adam, the, you know, the, the, the very word Adam, we, we think of Adam, you may think of the first man, but when you hear the word Adam, it also means human, it means human beings. And so that's who we are. It's talking about all of us. We are Adam. We are God's creation. So how things went in the garden, if things remained good and beautiful and plentiful and peaceful in the garden, it was dependent on Adam. He was in charge of the garden. It was his responsibility. If things did not go well in the garden and evil got the upper hand in the garden, it was Adam's responsibility. It was because Adam allowed evil to come in and to corrupt what God had declared was very good. Everything God created, he said, is very good. It's very good. Adam, everything in here is very good. You take care of it. You can partake of all these trees. There's an abundance of stuff here for you. There's more stuff here than you can ever even imagine. There's more here than you could ever desire, than you could ever want, only this one tree. 
A lot of people think that God was, you know, being negative. He said, well, it's tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't, take of, don't partake of the tree. Well, it was positive. He said, you can take all, you can partake of all of the stuff. Enjoy the abundance that's here. Only one, only one. I'm setting parameters. I'm setting some boundaries here. I'm setting a, 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 a discipline here. Don't partake of this tree. And sure enough, what happened? I'd like to believe that if I was the first man, I would have lasted more than three chapters. You know, you get into Genesis 1, everything's good. Adam and uh, Adam is given a, a, a wife and everything's good. In chapter 2, all is well. And you get into chapter 3 and it all falls apart. I'd like to believe I would have made it to chapter 7, chapter 8, or even into another book. Beyond Leviticus, somewhere beyond Leviticus, you know, just before the whole thing falls apart. But anyway, it didn't last very long. It's just a few short chapters and, the, and he blew it. But the responsibility for whether it went well in the garden or whether it did not go well in the garden, it was fully on the shoulders of Adam. And we see that manifested throughout Scripture, and we even see it uh, uh, referred to in, in the New Testament. When you get into the Gospels, as soon as Jesus, you know, he came to the earth and he was baptized with the Spirit, and as soon as he was baptized with the Spirit, the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted of the enemy. The enemy came into the wilderness for the, for the temptation, and, he, and uh, one of the temptations to Jesus was, is that if you will bow down and you will worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms of this world, for they have been given unto me. Everything was given to Adam. Now Satan is saying, all these beautiful kingdoms, all these regions and kingdoms and dominions, all of this has been given to me. And Jesus, if you will just bow down and worship me, I'll give it to you. For it has been delivered unto me. So that tells us what he's making reference to there. He's making references all the way back to Genesis. Adam, this is your garden. It's beautiful. I'm giving you responsibility to take care of it. And uh, it, it's up to you whether it goes well or whether it does not go well. Well, it did not go well. And so God in his love and his redemption had a plan to come back and to restore man, restore humanity back to his original plan, and that is to rule and to reign and to have dominion on the earth to rule and to reign and have dominion on the earth. And so the good news is Satan came, uh, Satan had come and he tempted Adam and Adam yielded. Then Satan also came to tempt the second Adam, which is Jesus Christ. The good news is Jesus Christ, even though tempted in all points, even as we are, did not yield to the temptation. He didn't yield to it. He said, no, I'm not going to bow down and worship you. I have a plan. God has a plan. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to shed my blood. I'm going to make atonement for the sins of all of humanity. And that's how we are going to get authority back into the earth through the body of Christ, through the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's going to happen through the cross. The cross has spoken. It is finished. The curse of Satan has been broken. So now we are here as the church, the body of Christ. God has placed us here as salt and the light of the earth. We are here for a particular purpose, and that is to, to be salt and to be light on the earth, in the earth. Adam had a commission to tend it and to keep it. Now the church, the body of Christ, has a commission to tend and to keep the earth. And how things go on planet earth today is up to the church. And so we can just quickly scan 
things that are going on in the world and recognize that the church has a lot of work to do. We have a lot of work to do. It's not God, you know, the bad things that are happening, it's not because God is all of a sudden becoming punitive. Bad things are happening because we, like Adam, are letting down our guard. We have left down our guard and we have left down our God-given authority and we're not taking up authority the way we're supposed to be taking authority and we are not doing what we are supposed to be doing. We're not praying. We're not believing God. We're not exercising our God-given authority. We're not asking the Father in Jesus' name. We're not petitioning heaven for the harvest of souls. He said, pray for labors in the harvest. We're not doing it. Oh, we do it a little bit here and there. Once in a while in church, we may do it, or we may do it at home sometimes. But, you know, we're not doing it with a conviction of, you know what, our prayers can really change things. And our prayers really can change things, and we need to get uh, recognized and realize that how things are going on the earth, you know, if it remained a paradise, it would be because, it would be because of Adam and his offspring. If things got messed up, it would be, it would be because of, of humanity. You know, if the serpent ever gained control, it would be because of humanity. And we see all that. It happened. Man really was in charge. So complete and final was Adam's authority on the earth that, it, that, uh, it, uh, that he had the ability and he had the authority to give it away. He gave it all over to the enemy. And the enemy told Jesus, it has been, it's been delivered to me. Adam yielded it over to me. And I'll give it back to you if you'll worship me. Well, Satan's still trying to tempt you to worship him rather than worship the creator. He's still enticing you, thinking that his kingdom and his world is more fun and more glamorous and has more to offer than the kingdom of God. But he doesn't. It, everything's a lie. Even apostles, you know, false apostles transform themselves into angels of light to try to deceive us. It looks Christian. It sounds Christian, but it's not Christian. Everything that glitters is not gold. You need to know that and, and become serious about being a student of the word of God and getting before God and have, have conversation with God and, and, and understand the word and be in conversation with him and being able to hear when he is commuting, uh, communicating back to us. Because as the first Adam failed, the second Adam did not fail. And when Jesus was on the earth, did he pray? He came back to restore. He came to destroy the works of the evil one. He was God's son. Did he pray when he was on the earth? Did you know he prayed at length for himself? <gasps> that is just so selfish. That's where all that prosperity stuff comes in at, and that's where all that selfish stuff comes in at. You shouldn't be praying for yourself. You should just accept what happens and pray for other people. Take the lumps and the bumps. Jesus prayed for himself. Pray for yourself. Amen? Amen? I can be a greater blessing to you when I'm blessed. Amen. Amen. Amen? You can be a greater blessing to someone else when you're blessed. That's what blessings are all about, to be able to be in a position where you, you have sown seed and God has multiplied the seed back to you to be a blessing and to bring praise and honor and glory in the kingdom of God. So Jesus prayed for himself. He prayed at length for himself. And he asked the disciples to pray with him the night of his crucifixion. And it didn't last long. They fell asleep. They fell asleep. What a picture of the church today. All right, I'm going to pray. God wants me to pray. And 
I don't understand why he wants me to pray, but I'll accept the because I said so. <laughs> so I'm going to pray and I'm going to fall asleep. I'm going to fall asleep. You may not literally fall asleep, but you know, you drift, you go off to somewhere else, you start off well, next thing you know, you're doing something else. I remember it's a few years ago now, but you know, Daniel, uh, Manchin and I get together on Saturday, most Saturday mornings at 11 o'clock to pray for the Sunday morning service, and we pray for all of you and so forth. And uh, this one particular Saturday morning, I'm, I'm sitting there in my chair, and I start off praying, and then Daniel's praying, and then Daniel's praying, and then I thought, oh my gosh, I fell asleep. <laughs> it's like... But we're in agreement. <laughs> we're, we're in agreement for y'all. <laughs> so, so if you've ever felt 50% covered, it's because <laughs> Pastor, Ray, Pastor Ray fell asleep. <laughs> it's only, it was only Daniel praying. <laughs> at least I think he kept praying. I don't know. He may have fallen asleep as well, and we both woke up at the same time. <laughs> but, you know, that doesn't happen every Saturday. Usually when I make it over here, I do make it through that hour of prayer. <laughs> I was just bored with you all. I was just like, I'm so tired of these people. It's like, <laughs> they need so much help. <laughs> I'm just praying because God said so. I don't, I'm not really into it. <laughs> but Jesus prayed for himself. Likewise, we need to pray. As the Father, Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I'm also sending you. Jesus was sent by God on a mission to restore humanity back to God. As he was sent on a mission, we've received, we have, we have been participants, of, uh, recipients of his mission. We are the born-again children of God. We are also sent on a mission. Jesus prayed, so if for no other reason, Jesus being the very son of God, with the Father from the beginning, part of creation, he was there when creation was spoken into existence, and when he came into the earth, he prayed to the Father. He said, God, help me. This place is a mess. Basically, he said, that's the picture. And the same thing, we look around and say, it's a mess. All the evil and the, and the corruption that's taking place in, in, in every level of our culture and our society. It's the church. We need to rise up. It's time. We need to be salt more than ever before. We need to be light more than ever before. But we're not going to do it by just amping up our works and amping up our energies and amping up all these other things. A lot of things that we're doing are good things, but first, we must pray. Amen? So let's begin with prayer. Let's begin with prayer. And I, again, I applaud you. You already spent 35 minutes in prayer this morning. Do it with music. Do it with the word of God. Just, just start praying. Just, but start praying and believe in God that he hears you and that he wants to hear from you. How things go in your family, how things go in your community, how things go in our church, it's really dependent on are we praying, are we petitioning heaven, are we believing God? Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for these beautiful people. I thank you for every household represented here today. I thank you, Lord God, that you so loved us, that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. And as we have become recipients of, of eternal life, we rejoice in it. We thank you for it, Father. But we also recognize that as Adam was in the beautiful Garden of Eden, with all the beauty and all the provisions surrounding him, he had a responsibility. So, Father, open up our eyes, recognizing that we have a responsibility 
responsibility. Let us look to Jesus, the second Adam. Let us look to his example, Lord God, that he was sent on a mission and that, Lord, that he went to you and he prayed. He would get up early in the morning sometimes and pray. And just, just the pattern of prayer and communication with you, Lord, as we look into the word over the next several weeks, we just thank you and we give you honor and glory that you'll help us recognize the importance of, uh, the power of, and the authority that we have as born-again children of God that when we do petition you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that you hear our prayers and that you not only hear, but we can rest assured that our prayers are answered. We thank you that, uh, for the accomplishment of, of faith and patience, Lord God, that in Jesus' name we have all things working together and it's ending up very, very beautiful in Jesus' name. We'll see loved ones coming to Christ, turning their hearts over to Christ. We see the kingdom growth in Jesus' name. We give you honor and we give you all the glory for it. We see healings and miracles, Lord God, because the atmosphere is ripe. It's ready for miracles in Jesus' name, Lord. It's not just something we talk about. It's not just something for history of the early church or a revival of days gone by, but Lord God, right here, right now, this is the day that you have made, and we will rejoice and be be glad in it. We'll rejoice and believe in you. We'll rejoice and we'll petition you in the name of our Lord and Savior. Amen. Thank you, Lord God, for great grace and great blessings on each one as they leave here. May your angels be with them. May the love of God and the peace of God, and may they prosper and be in health, even as their souls prosper from this moment on. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.